Hey everyone, I am Reva and just want to take a moment and thank you for listening to our studio podcast. Although we are here in Greenville, South Carolina, we are grateful for your support to see the message of Jesus go out all over the world. In case you are not aware, we have a YouTube channel, which you can find the link in our podcast bio. We hope you enjoy this week's talk and it encourages you and it helps you to be the human God designed you to be. So with that, let's get right to it. And as I was preparing for today, uh, a couple of thoughts came to my mind. I just want to start off with them, and then we're going to jump right in. Um, this thought was there are people that are anxious about the future. They're anxious about the future. And the other second thought that came to my mind, I had never had these thoughts before, was you feel like you're nervous to be a victim of your future. And today I want to talk about this because what's fascinating to me about the conversation about past, present, and future is we have no problem talking about our past because it's already happened, it's done, it's something that's taken place. And depending on your own experiences, sometimes we regret our past, but we're just glad it's over, so it gets over. And then others of us are celebrating our past because so many great things have happened. And then some of us are like, it's all the above. Every, every experience is there. In our present, we always talk about our present, this moment that we're in and what we're doing now and what we're investing in. I was talking to people before the gathering and one in particular was talking about how much money they spent on gas this month alone, just driving their kids all over the place to school and sports and extracurricular stuff. And, and I understand the dynamic. Candace and I are in a very different season of life than driving our kids around hours every day. We are pretty much dating all over again. We just have maturity now. It's amazing. We are empty nesters and people ask me, what's it like to be an empty nester? I said, the biggest difference is you're dating all over again, but you have money and maturity. <laughs> so that is my best definition of empty nesting. So for parents out there, there is a light at the end of the tunnel you are currently in. And Hopefully you have both, money and maturity, and what you want the most is you want to have the maturity when you enter into empty nesting. But when we talk about the future, it's interesting talking to people that follow Jesus about the future. You have one group that says you can't create the future. God is in charge of the future. So why are we talking about creating a future? But yet everyone's planning of what you're doing tomorrow. We're doing things today in preparation for tomorrow, and yet we, we are getting kind of, we have this interesting relationship with this idea of creating the future. And then there's other people that are, are working really hard to guarantee that tomorrow is a success, or at least it's nominally good. But when we talk about the future, it's an interesting dynamic, and I wanna dive into that a little bit today and, and talk about talk about how to actually build a world that you want to live in in the future. Just around the corner from our office, uh, Amy texted us one morning before we got there and she sent us a picture of a big old, a big old tractor essentially crane with buckets and we're demolishing this building just right around the corner from our office. And she said, this is, you know, this is happening right now. I'm like, where is this at? She said, it's right around the corner. And so I ended up coming in a little bit later. And sure enough, there's a building right around the corner from us that's in the middle of being demoed. And by the end of the day, the entire building had been demoed, put in large dumpsters, and hauled off. 
And I began to realize, man, it's amazing how long it takes for something to be built and how easily it can be destroyed. It's really interesting. The time it takes to build something takes time. It's not something that happened overnight, but man, can you tear something down instantly. And I think that's the challenge with life is we know how easy it is to destroy something, but we often aren't willing to put in the time and effort to build something. And today, you don't have to be a victim of your future. You don't have to be anxious about your future. God has actually put within scriptures keys and insights that actually set you up to build a future. So this whole concept of how it takes time, and when you look in scripture, there are so many stories and metaphors and illustrations about houses or places of dwelling. In fact, God uses this analogy when he talks to you as a human. He said, I'm building something in you. He, he actually views you as a temple, as a house. In fact, at the end of his life, Jesus says this, I'm going to tear down the temple and rebuild it in three days. And the people of that era were deeply confused by what is he talking about? There's no way to rebuild a temple, anything in three days. And if it's three days, it's going to be a little lean-to shack. It's not going to be a temple. But Jesus wasn't talking about in the natural. He was actually talking about humanity. He said, I'm going to pay the ultimate price, be restored and resurrected and redeemed so that all of humanity can undergo the same thing. So this idea of building and houses and dwellings is a very, very relatable metaphor. And I want you to connect to it today and understand that you are actually a house. In fact, if you go into the book of Ephesians, Paul begins to address it on an even larger scale, not just an individual. He said, what God is doing amongst believers right now, what he's doing amongst Christians is this idea of creating a place where Jesus is the cornerstone. Then you have the apostles and the prophets. And then you build a house where everyone fits together so that God can dwell in that space. So everywhere you go in scripture, you run into this idea of a house, a building, a place of dwelling, and in very scriptural terms, a temple. And you know, we live in Greenville area, and I recognize some of you drive in from all over, and it's, it doesn't take a genius to recognize we live in an area that there's neighborhoods popping up everywhere. If you don't go down the street, for a week, next time you go down that street, they're clear-cutting entire forest and putting a neighborhood in. There's development happening everywhere. And there's a full-blown industry that's deeply connected to what building and development and housing that's popping up all over. So we are in the midst of one of the hottest spots in the nation around this idea of things are being built and development are taking place. And I wanted to connect with this because we have to understand that it's, it takes a lot of time and energy and effort to build something, but it doesn't take much to tear it down. It's actually more challenging. And we can all build something, but the question is, can we build something that stands the test of time? Some of the houses going up, I don't think they're going to last very long. And I wonder how much of our lives we're putting energy and effort into building something that's actually not structured and designed to stand the test of time. And today I want to talk about this because 
everyone doing something. Did you know that whether you're intentional about building your future, your future's gonna happen regardless of how intentional you are or not? No matter where your belief is connected to, well, God does everything for me in the future, then you should stop planning tomorrow. You should clear out your calendar. So the idea is this, that each and every one of us actually get to play a role in building a future, in building a house that stands the test of time. If you have your Bibles or an app, how many got their Bible today, an app or an actual Bible? How many got actual Bible? Put it up in the, I want to see it. Okay, we got some paper. You guys are old school. You're like in the, you know, you're in the last century. Literally, and the rest of you, how many got your apps or your phones or some other device? Okay, you guys are very current and today. All jokes aside, turn your Bibles and your apps to Roman, I'm not Roman, Proverbs chapter 24. And I want to, as we read this passage, I'm going to give you the verse in just a minute. As we read this passage, I want you to recognize this is actually God's instructions to help you build a future, to build a house. We're going to unpack this. Proverbs chapter 24, verses 3 and 4. Through wisdom, a house is built, and by understanding, it is established. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Let's read those verses again. Through wisdom, a house is built, and by understanding, it is established. With all and by knowledge of the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. If you're a note taker, today is a great day to take note, but there's three words I want to hone in today. It's wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. Wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. Wisdom is the how. Understanding is the why. And knowledge is the information and the material at hand. Let me say this again. Wisdom is the how. Understanding is the why. And knowledge is the information and material at hand. If you'll allow me, I'm going to take this passage we just read and flip it upside down or flip it around backwards, and I'm going to reread it with Eric's paraphrasing. Knowledge is the material in which your goal is to understand why it exists why it's meaningful, and why it's valuable. Once this takes place, then wisdom begins, and you begin to learn how to integrate, assimilate, and implement it in your own life. However, you must have grit, resolve, and resilience to see any of this take place in your life. Right now, as we're alive, uh, one of the greatest soccer players in the world is still playing the game of soccer. And I understand Americans have this interesting relationship with soccer. And, and so if you are for it, against it, or don't have a clue about it, just enlighten me today and be really engaged with this point. There's a player, he's playing for the Miami team down in Miami. His name is Messi. If you've not heard of Messi, he is, he is being definitely touted as the greatest of all time to play this game of soccer. And I love sports, as you know, and one of my missions here at Studio is not to just expose you to God, but to expose you to sports. <laughs> and I don't know if I'm successful or not. There's a couple of you that really resonate with me, and 99% of you are deeply confused. And so if I can move the needle to 98% of you, then I just doubled 
our, our group that had actually engaged in sport. But there's a player, his name is Messi. He's Argentinian, and, and Americans don't really understand soccer that great. There are some of you in here are deeply connected to it, and most of us just don't understand it. But you have to understand in other countries, specifically in Latin America and Europe and other countries around the world, it's not just a sport, it's a religion. In Argentina, for example, there's a player who's no longer alive, but one of the greatest players pre-Messi was a guy named Maradona. And I've been to Buenos Aires and some other cities in Argentina numerous times now, and there are shrines set up that are places of worship with Maradona's face, who was a soccer player for Argentina. There are vigils and candles. Like, it's not just I light the guy, where's his, his kit. I'm actually worshiping this individual. In some places in Argentina, they have deified him. That's an extreme example of what I'm talking about, but I want you to understand something. Soccer is a religion in big parts of the world, and one of the best players to ever play the game is playing in America right now. He's, they say he's at the end of his career, but man, he's looking good right now. He's got some years left in those legs. And, but there's something fascinating about Messi. When you watch him play, whether you're into the game or not, there's something that you can't not see, and he almost looked uninterested in playing while he's playing to the tune that he walks a lot of the match. He's just kind of walking around and the ball's everywhere. And, and if you know soccer at all, it's not a walking sport. This is a sport where you're running, you're full sprinting, you're, you're jogging. I mean, you're constantly moving for, that's the point of the game. But for some reason, Messi is this guy, he just kind of walks around, just looks around, then all of a sudden he explodes and does something magical. He is the Picasso on the soccer pitch. He is Beethoven. He is the master sommelier of this game. And I love sports because it is a condensed version of a life experience in one moment. Golf in particular. In one round of golf, you experience every emotion known to man. You are depressed on hole three. You don't know why you're alive. And then by whole seven, you have found your purpose and your destiny and your identity. And then pretty much from there, you're angry, mad, happy, sad, melancholy, and then you go home and you crash. Could you just have this emotional train wreck that became a roller coaster, then a train wreck again? And that's the beauty of sport. It condenses everything. So here we watch, but when you study messy, you begin to see something that experts will begin to tell you about. What Messi's actually doing, he's not just walking around the soccer pit because he's bored. He's actually had the strategy of he's taking all the information in. If you watch him, his head is constantly moving everywhere. They said his head is on a swivel. A lot of people think we don't understand his style of play and one of his former coaches or managers said this is what he's doing. He's taking in all the information. He's looking at what's happening on the field. He's able to see the entire field in glances. And what is he doing? He's intaking all this information. You see, that is, that is what we call knowledge. It's information. It doesn't mean it helps you. It just means it's information. It's data. And, and sometimes in life, we're just taking in data and information, but we've done nothing with it or we're not doing anything with it. 
And when you want to build a future, you have to take all that information and have to go to the next space. It has to go to what we call understanding. So knowledge is the material, it's the information, it's the data of life. And right now you are all taking in information and data every day of your life. You're looking at life, you're making decisions, you're trying to figure out what this is, but understanding takes all the information and explains why. So as Messi is looking around the field, he's intaking, but then he begins to transition into why is this ball moving in that direction? Why are these players positioning? And then right when you finish the thought, what is Messi doing? He explodes. He goes into a speed of running that is it's crazy. It's frantic. He is so quick. He can dribble the ball. Kids all over the world are trying to mimic what he's doing because of how fast and how good he is. You see, wisdom takes all that understanding and it builds something. And what I want you to get today is this reality. A lot of us are taking information, but we're not asking why. And when you begin to ask why, then all of a sudden you have the wisdom to do something with that information. Are you guys with me today? So there's three words, knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. Charles Spurgeon wrote this, wisdom is the right use of knowledge. To know is to not be wise. Many know a great deal and are all the greater fools for it. There is no fool so great a fool as a knowing fool. But to know how to use knowledge is to have wisdom. In Proverbs 9, it says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. I wonder how much wisdom we're missing out because we don't have fear of the Lord. You can almost tell how someone's life's going to go by their greatest fear. And the question we have to ask ourselves, not intellectually, but every fiber of our being, is the fear of the Lord my greatest fear? Is my reverence, my awe, my respect, my fear of God, is this the greatest fear of my life or is there another fear that trumps that one? Is fear of man my greatest fear? Am I more concerned about what someone thinks or says than anything else in my life? And yet, on the side, we're crying out for wisdom. We're crying out for understanding. And God puts within Scripture, he said, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. So at some point in our journey, we have to assess, what is my greatest fear? Is it the fear of God or is it the fear of something else? I want you to ask yourself that question today. I want you to take some time this coming week and look at the situation. Because when you have the fear of God in your life, your future looks very different than it does when you don't have the fear of God in your life. Candace just prayed a prayer, and Reva was emphasizing this throughout worship, this reality that God is superior to every experience, every circumstance, every reality that we experience as a human being. And this reality that when you're connected to the fear of God, now you might ask, why is the fear of the Lord such a big deal? Because it places you in proximity to him. You're no longer just observing this God. You're actually in relationship and proximity to him. 
So if you long for wisdom, you long for understanding, you long for knowledge, guess what the first step is? Fear of God. So ask yourself some serious questions today. What is my greatest fear in life? When the fear of the Lord is evident in your life, it positions you to be in relationship and in proximity. It exposes and reveals the dynamic intelligence of God. Then I go on to Proverbs 19, verse 8. It says that he who gets wisdom loves his own soul. You have to understand that wisdom isn't just for your life. It's actually for the very essence of who you are. And he who keeps understanding will find good. So let's ask some questions. How do you get wisdom? We know the beginning of it is the fear of the Lord, but how do you actually get it? There's actually three ways, and are these the only ways? No, but I would say these are three primary ways that you can actually get wisdom in your life. When you step into the space of the fear of the Lord, there's three ways that you can get wisdom. The first one is this. You live life and learn from it. Now, some of us need to actually live life to learn from it. Even no matter if someone tells you, you still just need to live life. How many have ever been that kind of person? Like your mom and dad said you shouldn't do that, but you had to do it to find out if they were right or wrong. Are you guys with me today? Are you guys alive? Some of you, I I know with my kids, we would tell our kids over and over and over, they never listened in certain ways. Then they had the experience and and we always looked at them with the I told you so face. (laughs) Candace is notorious in our family for what's called the ha-ha face. Because Kenneth is so smart, so wise, so knowledgeable. She's like, I knew this. And we're like, we know you know everything. We know you're like God and Candid. We understand that. (laughs) But for some of us, we actually have to live it to experience life. So the first thing is actually living life and learning from it. But here's the challenge. Some of you have had really bad experiences in life. In fact, some of us have been rejected by others that when we get in proximity to other people, we reject them first because we don't want to be rejected again. So we're actually protecting ourselves from the emotional experience that we had the last time we got close to someone. So the challenge with living life and learning from it, if you're not careful, it will reduce you. Some of us had big dreams at one point in our life, yet I did, I want to do this due to my ambitions and my goals, and they didn't happen. Or they're definitely not happening in what you thought and when it would happen. And so now we just reduced our ambitions and goals. And we set the bar so low, it requires just human will. It doesn't require God getting involved for something impossible. So all we've done, we live life the way we learn from it. If we don't reduce ourselves, we actually find ways to expand ourselves. When I say live life and learn from it, I'm not saying live life and get smarter and just set the bar lower so you're never defeated or rejected or let down again. No, I'm saying you got to expand yourself. You don't want your life experiences to reduce you. You don't want to let what you've experienced in life make you smaller. Have you ever asked the question, what defined, what determined the parameters of your thinking? Are you thinking small because of bad experiences? Are you looking at the future with the idea of infinite possibility because of the fear of God in your life? Second area, 
Second primary way to get wisdom is the Spirit of God. This is a beautiful one. If you, if you want to turn there, you can. I'll just read it to you. It's in Proverbs 8. There's a, about a nine-verse section in there that I have been studying and reading for at least 20 years of my life, the last 20. It's Proverbs 8. We're going to read verse 22 and 23. You can read the rest of it all the way to verse 31 on your own. But look at what verse 22 says. It says, Lord brought me forth as the first of his works. Before his deeds of old, I was formed long ages ago. I love that line, long ages ago. At the very beginning when the world came to be. So let's ask the question, who's talking? Wisdom is talking. And wisdom said, God created me in creation which is kind of mind-blowing. I'm like, what was existing before that? I don't know, but it's kind of fascinating that with him that God created me when, I, when he created creation. And then when you go, by the time you get to the book of Exodus, there's this moment in the nation of Israel as they've left Egypt and they're in the wilderness and God begins to communicate to his people and to Moses, I want to be amongst you. I want to live, I want to dwell amongst you. And Moses responds to God in his own way and says, God, you're asking me to build this place of meeting, this tabernacle, this tent. I don't know how to do that. I don't, I don't understand the blueprints you're giving me. And God says, don't worry. Go find a man. He's in this certain tribe. His name is Bezalel. Go find this man and bring him here. So Moses sends for Bezalel of this, this distinct tribe and brings him in and and Moses, there's this moment where God and Moses and the people are in this moment. And, and God responds to Moses and said, I have placed my spirit inside Bezalel. And I have given him the spirit of wisdom and understanding and in all manner of workmanship. So I want you to understand the second primary way that you receive wisdom is from God. Is that actually the Spirit of God in your life actually introduces you to what we can call divine wisdom? You know why Solomon was the wisest man to ever walk the face of the earth? Because he asked for it. Church, are you with me today? Ask for wisdom. Don't just wait for it to come to you and don't just have to live hard experiences to get it. Actually, ask for it. I remember my 13th birthday. They do the, what's your wish? I don't know if it's true or not that worked, but what's your wish? And before I blew the candle down, I said, God, I want wisdom. Because I had just read that Solomon asked for it. I'm like, well, might as well ask for that. So ask for wisdom. Invite the Spirit of God in your life so he can bring wisdom into your life. That is not from this realm. That's from an entirely different dimension of reality. So the second primary way is the Spirit of God brings it in your life. The third one is you learn from others. You get around people that are farther along than you. And sometimes they're your kids. My kids taught me more about prayer and they never once mentioned prayer. I learned so much about prayer by how my kids interacted and saw me and related to me the way they responded to me when I showed up at home after working all day. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, this is what it's like. And it began to introduce me to a world of prayer that I didn't really know existed. 
It was just more just, you just say a bunch of cute words and make sure it sounds good, put your commas in the right places and throw some Christian words in there and God really likes that. Up until that point. But after that point, I realized, oh, it's much deeper. My kids taught me all about it without saying one word around prayer. So get around other people that are farther along than you. Every elite athlete, every successful business person, every entrepreneur, anybody that's high performing, they have coaches and people in their life coaching them on how to do well. You would think that the best in the world would no longer need coaches. But they're the ones that have teams of coaches in their life. So I know for me, for the last 20 plus years, I've either hired a leadership coach or I've hired someone to be in my life to actually coach me in certain areas in my life. Because I heard the statistic that once you reach the age of 30, 84% of the human population stopped growing. They stopped growing as a person. They stopped growing in their leadership. They kind of hit this plateau, and they just stay in that space for the remainder of their life. And I remember hearing that statistic, and I said, I am not going to be that statistic. I'm going to place myself around people that offend me, that bother me, and challenge me. And some of us, we think we're at the top of our game. Guess what? There's someone else that's farther along than you. So place yourself around people that are farther along in areas of your life that you want to grow in. So three ways that you can get wisdom is you live life and learn from it. The Spirit of God brings it, lastly but not leastly, is you place yourself around other people to learn from them. Why don't you stand? Thanks for listening to today's talk. If you're interested in learning more about Studio here in Greenville, you can go check out our website, studiogreenville.com, and you can give us a follow on Instagram. Our handle is studio.greenville. Have a great week.